The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke chapter 4, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to step backwards a little bit from this text that we just heard and go back to what has happened up to this point. So a couple weeks ago, January 1st and 2nd, the scripture reading, the gospel lesson was about Jesus as a child at the age of 12 in the temple where he was being taught by the teachers. He had been, then he was baptized. Then the next thing you hear is many years later, around the age of 30, he is baptized. And at the end of the baptism, you hear the words, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Those are the words of God. And then in Luke's gospel, it continues on with the genealogy that lists a whole list line of names and eventually gets to the son of God. Then Jesus is led out into the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil for 40 days. And every single challenge that the devil brings, he says, if you are the Son of God, do this. And now Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown, the place that he grew up in. Now Nazareth is a pretty small town. And when I say small, I'm talking like Ricketts size. So it's one of those towns where you don't get lost in. And it is one of those towns where everybody knows everybody. And so Jesus is in the synagogue as he does. Jesus laying out a very good example. Where is Jesus on the sa every Sabbath? At worship. Just as we should be. And so he's in the synagogue and a scroll is handed to him. See, they took, at that time, they did a thing that's called the lectionary. We also have a lectionary. Believe it or not, the scripture readings that you hear every Sunday are not picked out by myself or Pastor Celsina. These are the same scripture readings you'll hear in churches all across the planet. Not just the United States, all around the world, you'll hear the exact same set of scripture readings. And not just Lutherans, you'll hear it in Methodist churches, in Presbyterian churches, in even some in Roman Catholic churches. There's some variation here and there, but by the most part, you are hearing the same scriptures. So that same practice was around when Jesus, on this point, when Jesus was alive, and so he was handed the reading that was appointed for that day. And it was from the prophet Isaiah. And he read it. And then after he got done reading it, he sat down, because their custom was, you stood for the scripture reading, and you sat down for the teaching or preaching. And he tells them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The first reaction of the, those who are around him are, they're amazed, they're astonished. But it does not take long for the grumbling. Because see, they've known him all their lives. And so their first answer is, their first words are, is not this 
Joseph's son? In other words, isn't he the one that we've known all our lives? We saw him grow up amongst us. He's not the Christ. He can't be the son of God. He's Joseph's son. We know that. That is their thought. A couple weeks ago when we talked about Jesus in the temple, I talked about the, fact, the reality that they became overly familiar with Jesus. So familiar with him that they did not see so readily that he was who he is. And that was for Mary and Joseph, who they had the visit from the angels, and it started to kind of fade from their thoughts. The people of Nazareth did not have those visits. As far as they're concerned, he is just your average, everyday guy. He was just a carpenter. Most certainly not the Son of God in their mind. So Jesus, hearing their rebuke, he spoke words that were quite harsh, condemning them. He actually is pretty much comparing them to the devil who just tempted him. Because that's what he starts telling them. By no doubt, you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. Now we're challenging him to do miracles just as the devil had just done. Them realizing his condemnation. They're furious. And so they try to throw him off a cliff to try to kill him. This too continues the theme of Luke. Is that not only do they not recognize him, but he is rejected. That's why on Christmas Day, December 25th, you hear about the birth of Jesus, and all you have to do is go the very next day to December 26th, and you hear about the feast of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen, a reminder that to follow Christ means you are going to be rejected because he was rejected. So due to this familiarity, they rejected him because as far as he was concerned, he was just Joseph's son. Through the last 2,000 years, the church has had all kinds of ideas as to who Jesus really is. In the middle of the second century, there was a teaching known as Gnosticism. There were those who believed that the physical world, the material world, was evil. And the goal of life was to be free from it. This is kind of a merging of Christian theology and Greek philosophy. And if you ever wonder whether or not Gnosticism is still alive and well, it's usually at a funeral where you hear it most often. You might hear somebody say, well, God received another angel today. Or you might hear somebody say, well, that isn't really such and such. They are in heaven. They're freed from their mortal shell. That is not Christianity. That is Gnosticism. Gnosticism, during the second century, held to the idea that Jesus was God, but he was not human. They believed that because God would never let himself become human. 
So obviously, he made himself look like he was a human. It was at this time that the earliest versions of the Apostles' Creed was written. Uh, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried. Notice those words, conceived, born, suffered, crucified, died, buried. All human words. The Apostles' Creed at its goal is to emphasize that Jesus indeed is human. Well, time would pass, and people would begin to, they would start to accept that he was human, and they start to reject that he was God. And so these were the people that were known as the Arians. If you want to know the modern days of Arianism, that would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that Jesus, yes, he was a human, but he was not God. And so it was at that time that the Nicene Creed was written, which begins, very, says, Very God, a very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. The, over, the emphatic emphasis is Jesus is God. Yes, there is a long history in the church struggling with how God, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. There is a lot of heresies come from people trying to solve that little conundrum. Just remember, you can't understand Jesus. He's Jesus. But... Today we have our own sets of ideas as to who Jesus is. In our day, Jesus could be, is sometimes treated merely as an opinion. Well, you believe that Jesus is God, well, I don't, and so we're all right. That's our modern-day sentimentality. The problem with that is, is it doesn't really work, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But that is the idea. He's just an opinion. Or just a personal preference. Like your favorite type of pizza. And sadly, a lot of Christians treat Jesus like that. Then there are those who have the, what's called kind of the progressive Jesus. Jesus, he's loving, he's, he loves you, but he does not really care how you live. You can live however you want. That's in fact, you don't even have to believe in him. There are many who believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation. You can believe whatever you want. The only problem with the whole idea that living as you want is loving, that's kind of like a parent seeing their child stick their finger into a light socket and standing by and doing nothing. And decide, well, I just love them. I want them to live how they want. And you'll notice that the child's probably not in good condition after all the ways they hurt themselves. Or another way that Jesus is seen is the moralistic, moralistic therapeutic deist God. Jesus is basically your divine butler, your cosmic therapist. He's the one who is there to meet all of your needs 
but he does not get overly involved in your life. He's only there when you really need him. When you don't need him, go away. We don't need you anymore. Way too many. In fact, that, by the way, is the predominant religion in the United States. Is moralistic therapeutic deism based upon surveys. Or perhaps Jesus is, we have all kinds of these. Oh yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. He's just a good teacher, nothing more, nothing less. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gave a good response to this. He said that based upon the things that Jesus said and did, he cannot be just a good teacher. And one of the best examples of this is when Jesus has a paralytic brought to him. A paralytic was set at Jesus' feet. Do you recall the very first thing that Jesus did? He didn't say, get up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. This was offensive. Because they understood that the only person that could forgive a person's sins, all of them, is God. And they were right. Because you see, but let's say for example, let's just as an analogy, let's say one, today I get done, and for some reason I'm in a really grumpy mood, and I just randomly punch a guy in the face, some guy named Joe. All right? Now, who is the only person that could punch me or forgive me for punching Joe? Joe is. No one else can. Because Joe is the one who I sinned against. But Jesus forgave the, every single sin that this paralytic had committed. And the only reason he could do that is because he is the only person whom every single sin is committed against. God. He is claiming to be God. Jesus, based upon the things he said... According to C.S. Lewis, there's only four options. Either he's a lunatic, he's a liar, he's the devil himself, or he is God. There is no other option. You see, he is more than just Joseph's son. He is more than the progressive Jesus. He is more than all the various ideas that we've come up with. He is the one who, when you read Genesis 1, it says, and you hear those words, let there be light, that's Jesus talking. When Jesus is in the garden, he, set, he gives the promise to the man and woman that the offspring of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, that's Jesus. When Moses is talking to the burning bush, the one that's talking to him, who says, I am who I am, that's Jesus. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and exalted on his throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple, that's Jesus. When you read in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three coolest names of the Bible, I think. I'm waiting for somebody to call one of their kids one of those three names. But... When you read about those three in the fiery furnace, there's a fourth one who looks like a son of man.
That's Jesus. That same Jesus, he is the one who was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem under the reign of Herod the Great. He is the same one who would later be brought to trial before Pontius Pilate, who reigned from 27 to 36 AD. He is the same one who would be crucified on April 3rd to 33 AD. He would resurrect, he would rise from the dead on April 5th of 33 AD. And 40 days later, he would ascend into heaven. He is a historical Jesus. So there's no opinion. Jesus either is who he says he is or he isn't. He either lived or he didn't. There is no opinion or preference. Saying that Jesus is God is opinion is like saying it's your opinion that Donald Trump was the last president. It's not opinion. It, well, in this country they think it was. But it's not opinion. It's historical reality. So similarly, Jesus, it is historical reality or it isn't. That he lived, died, and rose from the dead to conquer sin, to conquer death, to free the captives. As he says, reading from Isaiah, you're the captives. You were born in captivity. Born in captivity to sin, death, and the devil. Jesus doesn't say, oh, just live however you want. I don't care. I don't care about the things you do. No, he went to the cross and died and bled for all of your sins to wash them and make you clean, to break the shackles of sin and death, to free you. God of God, very, he is man as man could be. He died, rose for you, to break you free. And so that you may be, and now we live in this world as the body of Christ, as I just told the kids. Why? In all of your places, in all of your vocations, you are there to bear witness to the world. To bear witness not of an opinion, but of a true God. The true God who died for them that they may have life. May we bear witness this until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, to life everlasting. Amen.